Welcome to the Buy Box Bandits podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Buy Box Bandits podcast. Thank you guys again for joining us. Today, we have Jeff from Amazon Authority, who did just over $10 million in sales last year um, with wholesale and I think with some online arbitrage as well, right? Yes, that's right. Oh, amazing, man. Thanks for joining us. We're excited to dive into all that you have. A fantastic background that the YouTube um, oh, yeah. exactly <laughs> who he says he is on that. Love to see the the workflow going on in the background. But yes, yeah, sir. you want to take us back to the beginning and you know how you got in Amazon, everything like that. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> let's see. I started in early 2019. Um, actually, you guys know Dan a Thousand Asins. Oh, yeah. uh, he's a good friend of mine since we've been young. He actually started probably about a year before me and uh he's the one who got me into it and i started from my house um it was almost something i did like at night on the weekends i had another job uh, i had my family helping me my grandmother who's 95 i had her like labeling products and um basically we just at first year grew to I mean, pretty much destroying the whole house, basically. I mean, I was doing like UPS pickups every day, like 100 packages going to Amazon, you know, pretty much all FBA. Um, And actually the first four months, I think I started in like July or August. So like through that Q4, I think I made like over 40,000. And that's when I was like, wow, this is pretty good. So I basically quit my job and went full time after that. Um, and that's when it got a little more serious, um, for me, I started like getting more into wholesale, which I'll get into, but just to give you the trajectory of our situation, um, I worked from home for like the next, I would say two years and then started looking into a warehouse, which is this place here, um, and hiring staff, which I think was important. So I hired a warehouse manager a buyer, I have like three or four warehouse preppers. And uh, so it's kind of like a real business. So that transition, I think it's important to talk about, you know, from, you know, going from like your house doing it to having it as be a real business. And that was a big step for me because I was a little scared um, to do that because you have a lot of fixed costs associated with that, Um, you know, payroll. I think we pay over almost seven grand a month in rent here for this space. Um, so I was, and we had to sign a five-year lease. So I was a little hesitant initially to make the switch, but I'm really glad that I did. And we've been going up ever since. Um, but yeah, I started with arbitrage, um, just learning the business. And I think that's a good way to do it. I was buying from, you know, Walgreens, Nordstrom Rack, stuff like that. I got on a few lead lists, which I'm sure everyone's familiar with. I didn't really know what I was doing in the very beginning. <clears throat> But uh, me and Dan shared information and, you know, it really helped to have someone to do it with. So people ask, oh, you know, aren't you guys competitors? And I guess technically we are, you know, for like the buy box, but we don't deal with it. We pretty much share it. Like if I get a good account after we, the second we do our first order, I'll usually do like a dealer introduction. And uh, so we've grown twice as fast. Like my buyer's working for him essentially and his staff for me. So that's been a crucial part of our growth. Um, Let's see. So a little bit about wholesale. Um, A lot of people have asked me, you know, how'd you do this? And 
honestly, I had to think a lot about it because I've talked to a lot of other people that didn't do as well or margins were pretty low, um, had some trouble scaling. And I think the main reason is that we really focus on going brand direct with everything. Um, a lot of people I've talked to, their whole business is distributors, and it never really even occurred to me to get any distributors. So I, from day one, I have been creating a spreadsheet. You know, at night, I'd like storefront stock other people that had similar accounts. You know what to look for when you see, you know, all their fast moving stuff with like eight FBA offers, no Amazon, stuff like that. <clears throat> so I created a spreadsheet and uh, I would just put like the brand, the ASIN, the contact link, and then move on. And we created this list with over a thousand different uh, brands to reach out to. So most of my business, uh, I would say it's probably like 80% brand direct, maybe 90. I have, a, I have like three or four pretty good distributors, but the margins are always, you know, 12%, 15 at the most. And you have to negotiate to get better pricing. And it's just not something that we really focused on. So I have like 50 accounts with, with brands and they know who I am. They know that I'm selling online. And that I think has been the main differentiator for my business, people are like, you know, wondering how I'm maintaining a 20% margin. And I think that's a big part of it because you're basically cutting out the distributor in that sense. Uh, also, I'm not really getting IP complaints or anything. People know about me, which I think is important. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, another trend that I've seen that I haven't heard a lot of people talking about, and this may just be a thing of the time, you know, it might be like for this next few years or something is a lot of these uh, accounts that were okay in the beginning are now turning out to be like gold mines because they had like, you know, 20 FBA offers or 20, 20 accounts. And then all of a sudden we're hearing, they're reaching out to me and saying, Oh, you know, we want four sellers in the U S uh, it's getting too chaotic. People are breaking map and we want you to be one of them because we've been doing, you know, six figure orders. I always try to cement myself with them. Um, there's a lot of little things we do. Like one thing I would recommend is, sending like a expensive gift basket for Christmas, like to the staff, you know, with your company name. This is my company logo here. You guys know me as Amazon authority, probably on Instagram, or, or maybe you don't. My social media presence is bad, but uh, this is my actual brand company, Postar Brands. <laughs> so, um, and I think that was important too. So we have a name that makes it seem like we are a distributor or, you know, ProStar Brands rather than a, uh, an Amazon seller. That's why my name on Amazon is an Amazon authority. Um, I think that turns people off right away initially. <clears throat> so that was something that I identified as a main difference. Um, and I can talk a little bit about how I did that. I don't know if you guys have any questions as I'm going along. Feel free to stop me. Yeah, yeah. Can we just break down their trajectory a little bit just in terms of like total sales numbers across the years just to give context to everyone? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like the, the scale, because like, the YouTube viewers see a big ass warehouse right now. Everyone clicked on the title, which was attractive, but we, we want to know like the, the direct sales trajectory across the years. Yeah, I can do that. Okay. So, um, let's see. So that first year when I was doing it part-time, I think I did like three or 400,000 in sales. Um, and that was when I was doing mostly arbitrage for that like last Q4. Maybe it was a little more than that because I think I netted like 40,000. 
uh, in those like four or five months. Um, and then let's see, 2020, I did 2.8 million in sales. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was my first year going full time. Yeah, <laughs> which was nice. You know, it's kind of shocking to me actually. Um, I was sitting back, adding up the number, saying, "Whoa, this is crazy." It was, uh, it was surprising. That's really when I went in, all in. Um, yeah. 2021, I did 4.4 million, uh, and last year I did 10.4, 10.5, and this year it's even better. Uh, January and February, let's see, I did like 1.2, 1.3. Yeah, these last couple months, so I've been having like 55, 50k days every day. Yeah, um, I, uh, you, we hadn't met yet, and I was looking at you, looking at your seller app, and I was like. Oh, in Miami, yeah. Yeah. In Miami, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? That's how. That's what you see. A lot of seller apps out. My Uber driver had a seller app up. He had like eighty dollars in sales. Oh, I was my, talking to him oh, oh, at the airport. Yeah, he gave me his card. He wants to sign up for my program that doesn't that's exist what's yet. Up. Dude, hell yeah! I know Dan yeah. was geeked. Dan was geeked when the dude brought out his seller app. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so that that's the trajectory of my sales, anyway. And we're looking at probably 15 to 18 this year, um, which is good. So that speaks to what I was saying about me being glad that I have, that I made this transition. Um, and I've made a lot more now that I'm set up properly to be a real business. And it's helped getting accounts and stuff too, for sure. And I'm going to talk a lot more about that and what we did to set ourselves apart. Because um, these days, a lot of accounts, brands, they're, they're getting like 30 more calls a week from Amazon sellers. And it's just like an instant now because they don't necessarily need that. And 90% of the people reaching out to them, it's like a $5,000 order. And they're just trying to get a little piece of that Amazon pie, but they're smartening up. So it's not as easy as it used to be, you know? Um, <clears throat> so let's see, a, a couple things that I did right away that in retrospect were actually really good ideas that I'd recommend. <clears throat> the first one is I immediately created a website um, and actually, if you want, I can log into it and share my screen with you guys. I don't know if that's something you guys want to see. Uh, well, sure. just, yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. All right. I'm gonna yeah. Make, yeah. The YouTube viewer is getting blessed. Everyone come over to YouTube and watch this episode. <laughs> all right. We can always edit this if you need a couple minutes. Sure. Let's see. Hey. All right, here we go. Here we go. Okay, so yeah, I threw this thing up in a couple of days. So this isn't like the best website ever, but it's a good landing page for brands. So the first thing I did was I made an, uh, this logo. Yeah. And uh, then I created an email signature that says, you know, my name, founder, ProStar Brands, and our website, uh, and a link to it. You know, people are clicking on that. So. Uh, this is a landing page for brands. This isn't like a Shopify or anything. We're not selling products off this. Basically, just, I made this in paint, but it just basically says, you know, a little bit about what we can do when we partner with brands, um, you know, where we sell. Let me just click through it here. Just give you guys a general idea that this needs some updating, I think. I, I liked this at the time. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's clearly worked thus far. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a little professionalism. Um, it just basically explains what we do. This is just about, you know, purchasing. And then here uh, is our a picture of a warehouse that isn't mine that actually 
maybe now I should change it. My warehouse is yeah. out now. This is when I work from home. <laughs> and uh, the last two were kind of more important. So brand management, right? <clears throat> Things that we are offering and expressing in our first emails. So launching new products, maybe products that they have that aren't yet online improving existing listings. You know, we have a professional photographer, stuff like that. These are things they like to hear. And lastly, most importantly, probably brand protection. You know, we mentioned uh, that we're aware of map agreements that we can report map violators, um, you know, other Amazon sellers who the brand hasn't let us know it's supposed to be on there. And then just a little contact us and maps. It's very basic, but this has been something that I think really helps. So I made a website and I had an email signature and we have a company logo. Yeah, and like people could really easily set something up like that. They just want to overthink it and everything, you know, like with 10 hours of YouTube videos, like you get that set up in one day. That's exactly right. Yeah, I did this with Squarespace. Yeah, and and for anyone listening who wants like a really, really stupid, simple way to do it, um, it's called Card. It's C-A-R-R-D. It'll be like a one or two page site and it's $8 a year to have it. And then the domain's like 12 bucks. Like that's a great solution as well. And what you could do is you could go and storefront stock off listings you're looking at and see what other people's list, uh, websites look like too by finding their name and then typing in the domain or Googling it to try and find their site specifically as well. Awesome. <clears throat> yeah, so that's basically it. Nothing too crazy, but I think that has really set us apart um and another thing yeah so what would you have done differently during the wholesale scaling process if uh or a couple main things you would have done differently that that you think either would have made things easier would have made growth quicker more profitable for the people looking to that are in that or looking to get into that well for me i think we pretty much hit everything right with the timing actually looking back on it um i actually kind of value that progression you know getting to learn the business and i pretty much did everything myself the first year and then i had my family and stepdad helping me the second year and then started hiring staff but the one thing i can say is that the uh hiring of a buyer was was huge for me um so i moved actually one of my warehouse guys into uh the buyer position because he was really good at the software and just showed a lot of promise for that and um basically just showed him what i'm doing and taught him everything i know and now I have someone, you know, constantly reaching out, um, reaching out for new accounts, restocking all of our stuff. And, you know, we work together, but it's just that has really been the number one thing I could probably say has helped us grow the last, you know, year and a half. For sure. I think with a lot of our viewers are just naturally going to be OA yeah. sellers. And I think Miles and I hear a lot about some of the limiting beliefs in terms of calling that first brand, reaching that first brand and, and just saying, oh, I mean, who am I to, these brands are never going to want to work with me. I'm just a small seller, like right. using a prep center or whatever the case may be. What are some ways that you potentially overcame those limiting beliefs when you were getting going or what would you say to that? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, uh, I kind of had those two initially. And uh, I think that the main thing was, uh, was working with the, with a partner on it, you know, just talking through stuff and, we would actually do, uh, we, we would call each other and like pretend that one person was a brand and that the other person was reaching out and just like kind of hear how we sounded. And you and Dan? Yeah, yeah. That's so we would kind of like do like fake, uh, fake calls and stuff like that. And just uh, basically give each other tips to improve. <clears throat> At some points we even set, you know, goals uh, to kind of hold each other accountable. Like, okay, we got to reach out to, you know, 10 brands by the end of the week or, you know, add more to the sheet. <clears throat> stuff like that. 
And basically we just, uh, just did it, you know, kind of like overcame our fears. I definitely wasn't great on the phone. That's for sure. Initially. Well, you um, did it, you know, and then, and then, yeah. You did it, you know? yeah, that. yeah. So yeah, once you get a little bit of success, um, you know, that builds confidence and then eventually, um, you have more money and then all of a sudden you kind of, uh, it, it just changes things. That, that's the one thing I haven't mentioned. Um, the main thing is obviously like how much you can spend because we get a lot of no's that we've turned into yeses. And I've gotten a couple no's that we've turned into yeses that we've turned into exclusives, you know? Hey. <clears throat> and that's another, another whole thing to talk about. I know some of that was luck, I think. Right place, right time. But um, we have a couple, I, I have a couple uh, accounts where we're doing like 500K orders. And that was enough for them to be like, okay, you're going to be like one of one of four sellers now in the US. And the margins are pretty good on that. It's like 35% on stuff that's fast moving. Some of it's electronic. So they make a lot. There's like 30 ASINs. And then you get, a, you get one or two accounts like that. And it totally changes your whole business. Sure. And then it allows you to get more like accounts. So now I'm like referencing those brands when I'm reaching out to their competitors and stuff. Yeah, it all, it all do, you, do you guys manage all the PPC in-house? Uh, so we've gone through a few companies, some were good. Uh, it's pretty simple stuff that we need, um, for PPC. I don't have a lot of private label products. I have a few. Um, so a lot of the PPC we're doing, it's like to appease the brand. You know, they wanted us to run PPC. They had a company they wanted us to reach out to and just, you know, share like the ad spend with them. And so we've done that. And then, I mean, that's something I didn't even really know too much about. So I've actually learned a little bit from them about, you know, looking at the campaigns they set up, we're doing like automatic campaigns. And I think my top one, I'm spending like 300 a day on for like some really competitive stuff. And that immediately I went from like getting one sale a month to like 50 or 60 sales a day. when I did that. <clears throat> so can you, can we dig deeper into the PPC? Because that's something that we just not like naturally don't really talk to about much on this podcast. Sure. So what would make a good campaign? What's some like the target cost that they should be shooting for those sorts of things? Well, let's see. I'm no expert on this one, but uh, <clears throat> from what I've seen in reviewing what like the companies we're working with have done, it, it, we, we're running basically like a blanket campaign for each brand that wants us to, that we work with. We're, you know, adding in the products <clears throat> that need it the most. And then I'm setting like an ad spend, usually something close to what Amazon recommends. So for that particular product line that I was just talking about, I initially put it to $100 a day and then Amazon suggested I increased it to 300 a day. I'm doing like $1.50 per bid and uh, it's automatic. So it like tells you, you know, the, uh, the keywords and stuff. And I've, with some of our other brands, it's like $50 a day or 20. It just depends on, I guess, on how many other people are advertising. And um, the competitiveness of the brand of the uh, specific keyword that you should deal with. Right. Yep. So were you and Dan cool as adults or did you reconnect over Amazon? Um, so we've been friends since we were in like seventh grade. Um, and we basically stayed in touch all through college. Um, he moved down to New York City. Yeah, because there was that disconnect. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He moved down there. Um, he was doing real estate. I was doing some real estate and rentals in Boston up here. I did a few other jobs. Um, and then when he started this, I actually, I went down to visit him and uh, we, we were just thinking of something to do. And he was like, oh, we should, you know, start a business. And we almost went in another direction and uh, did Airbnb, <laughs> which I'm glad we didn't now. 
although I do know a few friends who are doing it successfully, I think this was the right, right choice for us. So um, I, he, he was like, you know, there's this Amazon thing I heard of. And I was like, why don't you do that? And then let me know how it goes. And if it's good, I'll do it. <laughs> like, and that's basically what happened. I went down to visit him in the very early stages. His apartment was filled up with all sorts of, uh, you know, like lifesavers and random, random products from like Walmart, and Walgreens, away stuff. And he was showing me, you know, just the, the labeling process and the interface for Amazon Seller Central. And I, I loved it right away. I was like, man, this is awesome. You know, my goal was, I was like, if I could, do you think I could make like 50 grand a year if I really tried? doing this and he was like i do think so and that's that's how i started uh that was my main uh, main goal i was like if i could do that i would definitely consider it yeah like there's nothing there is nothing on planet earth the right group chat of motivated males can do like that's right? that's the truth <laughs> there, there's nothing on earth yeah definitely was there a i guess specific inflection point where you kind of flipped the switch from online arbitrage to wholesale full-fledged uh not really i i honestly we do both you know and part of that uh i don't know if you guys and your listeners know about the change in like amazon's algorithm for the buy box but it's something uh, that we've noticed i'd love to hear it i'm not not uh too formally sure Okay, so no one knows exactly what it is, right? Um, you know, what goes into Amazon rotating the buy box and what causes certain sellers to get more buy box than others. Now, when I started this, I was under the assumption, and I'm pretty sure that it was uh, like this, that it was a fair distribution for the most part. So, for instance, from selling these and, you know, you're looking through the Keepa and uh, Webseller, whatever you use, uh, and you can determine that there's 100 sales a month on this product. There's no variations and there's 10 sellers. So I, I would know I'd get about 10 sales a month. Um, and if I want to get three months of stock, you know, I would buy 30. So now, and I don't know when this actually happened, it's, um, it's going in the favor of certain sellers much more. So this is really good for sellers with like seasoned accounts that are doing arbitrage. <clears throat> So for me, arbitrage has become a lot more profitable. I've noticed that I will get the buy box almost, an un, it's an unfair proportion of the time on certain things, especially arbitrage products where a lot of the people are on lead list. There's a lot of new accounts with like 50 or less reviews. Um, and I'm just in the buy box constantly unless someone undercuts me. Or if there's a lot of big sellers on it, it seems like a pretty even split. So that's something I've noticed. And I've gotten on a lot of arbitrage products to test this theory out a little bit. And um, and that's what's happening. I'm getting, you know, it's estimating like 3,000 sales a month on a product. And I'm getting that many myself. Obviously, those estimates are low. I don't think they account for like overall growth. But um, so <clears throat> that being said, one thing that you can do is try to build up your account. Um, with reviews. No one, like I said, knows every single thing that goes into it, but I think it's like your review count, how fast you get back to customers. You know, if you have hundred percent positive feedback, which we do lifetime, I think I have three to 4,000 reviews now, hundred percent. So that definitely is something to do with it. And then how many sales you're getting per day. I actually, this is just something to think about, but I actually bought a product that I was breaking even on um, and spent like, you know, almost $200,000 on it because it was so fast moving. Um, and that did get me a lot of reviews. I mean, we wanted to maintain the relationship with the, the account as well. 
but they just wouldn't budge. And uh, there was a couple other sellers breaking map on it. So I just, I just bought it anyway with that in mind. Like the purpose of this purchase is to like maintain my relationship with the brand, keep keep our name in their heads with these big orders, but also, uh, you know, just to move these units and get, you know, get my orders per day up. And I think that the, that's one of the biggest pieces that really separates online arbitrage from wholesale sellers. It's right. That like sort of macro mindset, it's approaching a brand and asking them if they have any SKUs that you could potentially get off their hands and help them out and liquidate. Right. It's, right. it's doing those sorts of things that the entry level OA seller would be like, ah, dude, like I would never want to, why would I ever want to do that? Right. Every product right. has to make as much money as possible. And it's just simply not the case. Definitely not. That was one of my uh, misconceptions when I started. So, you know, I've told some people about it, shown some friends and I'll show them a product and be like, yeah, this thing costs like, you know, $4, but it makes like a dollar 15. And, uh, and they're like, what? that doesn't sound great at all, but it's about volume, you know, especially on Amazon. So, you know, a product like that, that, you know, sells a hundred a month is not something to be overlooked. Like initially the way I thought about it, like my first year, I remember thinking, okay, if I actually Dan's the one who came up with this, um, you know, and it has to do with his name, a thousand aces. So he was saying that, you know, a hundred dollar a month product is something that we're going to shoot for. And if you have a hundred of those, then you're making $10,000 a month or 120 grand a year. So 100, 100, you know, dollar a month profit products. And that's, you know, that's, that's easy to do on arbitrage, wholesale, whatever. Everyone wants these home run accounts or these, um, you know, these really good products that make like 20 bucks a piece, 30 bucks a piece. But those ones are a little more competitive and oftentimes they don't last as long because when things are that profitable, the brand becomes aware of it. They can sell themselves. Um, or if it's an arbitrage product, you know, the brand starts becoming aware of these sellers who are maybe buying it in a retail store on a sale or something. So um, I've always tried to build my business with a lot of, not, not low profit, but, uh, you know, fast moving products as well as the, as well as the expensive stuff too. So now we have a good mix of that. Do you ever do you ever see like the bolos that are going around the OA space and be like, dang, I just kind of want to just just send yes. them. <laughs> oh, I do. I do that sometimes. <laughs> what's, the, what's the last bolo that you've gotten? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Not sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, that shows that's like nicely, decently removed from some of the operations. Are you using virtual assistants as well? No, I'm not. No, everything's in-house here. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I've never really wanted to go in that direction. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I know Dan uses them and oh, loves them. A lot of other people do. Yeah. yeah, I don't have one yet. I've been thinking about it, but um, we're kind of like, I mean, everything's in-house here and I'm putting like different responsibilities on different employees and seeing how they do. And they're all doing great because when I was doing it all, it was good for me to learn. And there's only so much one person can do. And I was a little like nervous to put that on employees, you know, because you are so uh, scared of making any mistakes with your Amazon account. But um, now that I've done that and kind of like relinquished that power, I'm seeing people are doing better than I was. So yeah. And nice it could, be, yeah. Like I, my, like, so I have three for like the whole personal brand and Amazon and like none of them have access to my Amazon account or anything. Like it could be, be just like identifying brands or something like for mm -hmm. three bucks an hour, like you can get someone like eight hours a day in there just cranking out. Right. Brands to hit up country. It was really, a game changer for me. I think it's, it's a, a really, really beneficial thing. How do you see this growing? Definitely. How do you see this growing over the next couple of years, whether it be wholesale, private label, just the overall space? 
Um, yeah, so we're continuing to grow with wholesale. Um, we actually just got an account this week that's one of the best ones we've ever gotten. So as we grow with these accounts, I'm realizing the main problem is that we just don't have enough capital to keep everything in stock. So we're working on that, um, putting some systems in place to keep everything in stock, which is something I'm not good at. Um, you know, there's a lot of variables out of your control, obviously, lead times, how fast things are selling. So that's the number one thing on my list for, for growth, you know, just to keep as much as we can in stock at all times. Um, another thing is, so I'm kind of getting into private label a bit, but not in the traditional sense. Uh, a lot of the private label products we have are actually owned by a brand and they're giving us like our own version of the product. And that's happened because in a few cases, the brand has partnered with us and there's like a few other sellers and then they, we got on it and they were like, we're, no one's getting any buy box anymore, including us. So they were like, how about we make our own, you know, a color for you and that can be yours and everyone else will be on the main listing. And that's, I've heard that a lot. So that was kind of a little bit about what I was saying about how the buy box has changed. So that's happening. Um, and then, yeah, we're continuing. We were definitely not overlooking arbitrage for sure, especially during Q4. There's just so many good buys up there. Um, and we try to compile a list of, I, I don't know if Dan talked about this on his, but, you know, seasonal items. So I already have a ton of stuff ready for, you know, different holidays for Q4 that I'm aware of that we're going to get on like a month or two early, get it in there early to Amazon and, um, and try to grow that way as well. We're kind of just we kind of make it up as we go, you know, which just sounds crazy to say, but that's what we're doing. Yeah. We're just, just, you know, <laughs> that's what all of us are ever yeah, doing. Right? Yeah, one foot, one foot one so with the aggressive growth over the years, what have you used in terms of getting capital, like loans, uh, business credit? Like that? Yeah, sure. So um, a few things that I can recommend that helped me. And one of them was a little lucky. So I got the uh, SBA loan, the economic impact loan during COVID. And I think that's one of the things that really, really blew us up because it was a great time to be selling during COVID online. And then I got a pretty big loan that I didn't have, you know, it's like 3% over 30 years. So that happened. Um, although, you know, a regular SBA loan wouldn't be the worst thing for anyone doing this business either. Um, I got a Spark 2% credit card, which is a business card you guys probably know about. I use that. We try to spend at least 100 grand a week on that. So think about this, right? That's $2,000 a week in cash back if you're just breaking even on all the products you buy. Right? It's pretty so that's, wild, yeah. Yeah, something that occurred to me. I was like, man, this is pretty good. Um, and what else? Uh, when I first started, actually, I, I had about $10,000 of my own money, and my dad let me use his credit card. <laughs> to get the business started. Um, and that was the main loan, that economic impact loan was the main one. And then Amazon, of course, has offered me a couple loans um, throughout, which I've taken. And you guys know about the Amazon lending loans you guys can get, and they just come into your account like a disbursement. They're easy, yep. they're fast. You don't have to provide you know all these business financials. It's just a click of a button in a few days. So I got a $2 million loan from them. Um, he said that so casually. All the viewers at home. Right. Two million, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and uh, it's a good loan to get initially, but you may want to replace that with an SBA loan or some other business loan because they take it back in 12 months, every other disbursement, and the interest rate's pretty high. 
So I think I'm paying like 12 grand a month of interest on it, which is, you know, much less than we're making on that money. But, you know, it was a good start. It's just easy, easy money, fast Jared money. Held, so. Jared held so steady. He, he, he was ready for that. I, I was not ready. I was, yeah. <laughs> well, I, they gave me one, I think, uh, 1.1, 1. 1, then 1.4, and then 1.7, yeah, like, and then two. Refied it or you didn't take? He's actually had a great question. Uh, from a student about that yesterday, sure. refied or did they just raise the amount after like a month of it sitting? Uh, actually, I took it and then every time after the third payment, they've like offered me another one. So I think that if they see your sales go up and they see that the disbursement is bigger than the payment that they're due, then a few of those and then they'll offer it again. I never saw it sit and then it increased. I think it would probably go away and then come back maybe yeah. at a higher rate. I'm not sure. What are some of the aspects to kind of calculating and identifying if a, a loan is a good fit for your business at a specific time? Honestly, I'm not an expert in that area. I don't know. I'm not sure. I just took the Amazon loan. <laughs> and, and I was trying to look into it after the fact and be like, was this a good idea? How much is this really costing me? I'm honestly not. Uh, I have, don't have too much to say there because I'm not 100% sure you know, what the factors are that will go into identifying it. One thing I know is like the longest payback period is what you want for sure. And, um, you know, a line of credit would be a really good thing for a business like ours because then yeah. you can keep that money and just pay the interest. And then at the end you pay it back with the balloon payment and then we do it. So you always would have that amount of money for your business. And just, if you're making more than the interest on the loan, which you will, um, if you're doing it right, then that's probably the best way to do it with a line of credit. What and with it, all the delegation that you've kind of offset, what's the day-to-day -day look like for you specifically? Okay, so we I run this place nine to five. Um, I have my warehouse staff, uh, which basically my manager's in charge of. He controls their hours. I give them pretty much unlimited overtime. So on busy times, you know, they're coming in at like seven or eight. Um, they'll come in on the weekends if they want. They don't even let me know. They just keep track of their own hours. Um, and then we have what I call the front office here, which is my buyer and me in the front here. Wow, yes, sir. There, yeah, there he is. And then we got a couple guys over here. That's Dan's side down there. And um, basically, I come in, we review what we're going to do for the day, uh, any accounts we're trying to get, any purchase orders we need to, I need to review that he's put together. We go over and talk to the warehouse, see what's going on for our next pickup. If we're going to do a hazmat shipment, a regular one, I want to see basically what products they're working on. And uh, we use like whiteboards and we keep a list of, uh, you know, what I want them to do, what the progress is and a list of stuff we purchased that is incoming. You know, we like make a mark on it if we've already paid for it, if it, and then waiting for it to be inbound. And then we like circle it if it's, if it's here just for some organization, because it's getting pretty big now. And uh, just to have a little communication, you know, with the warehouse about what's going on, because it's getting pretty chaotic down there. Gotcha. So what do you, what is like your family and, and people maybe that knew you pre-Amazon, free like just seven figures profit, like all these big things. Do they know about the scale? Because you guys are open about stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, they know about it. And uh, it's, it's crazy. Um, it's kind of just something that happened quickly. So people are getting used to it. It hasn't really changed that much. I bought a few dumb things, you know, a couple cars and it, stuff it, like that. Uh, but just to prove you didn't like it in the first place or didn't need it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, but other than that, we're just growing the business and working. I mean, I'm happy to, you know, be generous with my money. Like my warehouse manager is my stepdad. Um, 
and we we do like company events and stuff like that we try to pay the employees well boys and, and such poker night yeah the, yeah. the, the, the bender right. last <laughs> yeah what so was that the miami conference that we were at like three weeks ago was that the first time you had been around like a ton of amazon sellers um no we went to it last year as well and oh, uh i didn't know you went i knew dan i went. did yeah oh i, I actually we, missed yeah, we were the conference i had a tough night the night before uh, <laughs> and i ended up coming at the end for like the last couple hours but um yeah i mean i guess that was probably the first time where i was actually meeting with bigger sellers who i'd seen online before and uh and just you know like feeling the sense of community a little more but yeah i i mean we're gonna go to that every year i think oh yeah that was a ton of fun Right. I uh, I just awesome. love the way you and Dan are obviously incredibly good at this stuff, but like it's it the way you guys talk about it, is it so simple? Like we just find good products and then we buy them, and you know someone <laughs> which is true though. Right. It's true when you think about that, it gets so much easier to break down those little intricacies that you build up over years, that you build up over talking to a lot of people that you just can't see when you're new. But when you right. dig trenches like that, that's when you start to really learn that stuff. And especially when you get the multiple brains around, you know, one task together. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. That's the truth. I mean, looking back on it, you know, after the fact, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, just buy, you know, profitable products. <laughs> but uh, there, there is a process to it um, that we've refined a little bit over the course of time. I mean, I have a few email templates that my buyer uses when he's reaching out and we obviously tailor it specifically and change it a little bit <clears throat> to the brand that we're using um, or reaching out to. But other than that, we're just kind of, you know, throwing out a ton of emails and seeing what comes back. Yeah. Cause like you can negate the luck with the volume, like you, at, like yeah. you get very lucky with extraordinary volume, basically with anything. That's a yeah. tweet, Miles. Yeah, right. I mean, it's completely, it's an Alex Hormozzi quote. So it's completely, uh, it would be a very plagiarized tweet, right? There's right. something like that. But um, yeah, right. Because you have to, like, when you're new, you don't know anything. So you don't have the chance to get lucky. And the, the way you start to give yourself a chance to get lucky is you got to cut down on the time of figuring stuff out and everything like that. So how does this look differently, whether it's your day-to-day, -day, outside of numbers, process-wise, employees, how does it look differently a year from now in an ideal scenario? Well, the one thing I've tried to do uh, is to set it up so I don't need to be here. Um, and that's not so I can, you know, just travel around and not work, but just so I don't have to worry about what's going on um, when I'm not here, now that we're going to be going on some of these trips and and other things i want to really make sure that the business is stable and mistakes aren't being made when i'm not here so that's basically been the focus um i'm not super into like you know using all these intric intricate softwares or anything but um i want to know exactly you know what people are doing and make sure that everyone knows you know what their task is so one thing that we've done is we just have like, especially with the warehouse, you know, people working together in teams of two to like check other people's work. Um, and then with my buyer, uh, he, he is basically as good as me, maybe better in terms of uh, what he's doing. So uh, all I really need to do is basically review his work, um, review what the warehouse has done or have him do it and let me know. And that is the way I see it going, you know, as we're traveling more and doing more events and stuff that uh, the place pretty much will be running itself. Whereas yeah. in the beginning, I had my hand in everything. 
And I was, like I said, I was a little scared to not do it that way, but I realized if we're going to grow, there's no way I can continue doing that. I don't even know. Sometimes I walk through this place and I don't even know what the products are. I'm like, what is this? What is that? <laughs> I can't wait for that. Cause I think I want to get a purchasing or at least some of my OA purchase being made by someone else at some point. And that'll be cool once you see like on the seller app, cause it just goes to the prep center for now and everything. Right. So right. Get that going. That should be so pretty so for the, the BBB listener who is completely away listening right now, what's uh -huh. the three-week playbook to guarantee that first account, whether it be distribution center, wholesale, supplier, whatever the case may be? How's it done? Oh, man. Well, I would definitely start with that email signature, like I said, to make yourself look more professional. Um, and the website, not to repeat, but I, I think those are really important things not to be overlooked. So you know they're going to click on that. And then another thing that I didn't mention is... Um, and we did this in the beginning, even when I was a smaller seller, we, we don't have it in our signature because I don't want people like clicking on my storefront and stuff um, when I don't know who they are, but we often send a link to our Amazon storefront in the initial email, which shows like, you know, the name of my seller storefront, you know, 100% lifetime positive, 3000 reviews, whatever. And, uh, and then they can click on that and see, you know, what products you're selling. And a lot of times brands have asked for that in the beginning when I didn't do that. And that's, so now that's something we include with our template, like, Oh, you know, check us out here. Um, you know, check us out on our website and check us out on Amazon. And uh, another thing that I had mentioned is that we always say that we sell in Canada and we're actually working now on going directly to Canada rather than the NARC program. You guys know about that um, North American oh, and yeah, yeah. 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 So that is a program that Amazon offers by invitation only. Um, we got offered it and we accepted. You basically just can click which ASINs you want to be live in Canada that are in the fulfillment centers in the US. And it's good to get your stuff out there. Uh, I think it was like a maybe 5% or 3% boost right off the bat in terms of overall revenue. Um, but if you want to ship directly to fulfillment centers in Canada, then you can get the prime offer. It doesn't take them like two weeks to get it there. So we're working on that. But even in the NARF program, if, you, if any of your guys are offered that, then you can say you sell in Canada. And that's gotten us a lot of accounts, actually. That's yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it, that's the kind of thing where it, like, it would be obvious to an Amazon seller, like, oh, anyone can sell in Canada. But it's not obvious to a brand right. or a sales rep that might not be familiar with it. Mm -hmm. um, Especially US brands, you know, they're, they're always like, oh yeah, no more sales, no more sales. And we're like, oh, you know, we sell in Canada, we can help expand that market. I've gotten a lot of no's on some really fast moving stuff. And I mentioned that and they were like, oh, okay, yeah, why don't you do your first purchase order with us and sell it in Canada, like, get back to us, let it know how it goes, <clears throat> excuse me, let us know how it goes. And then they were like, okay, we're, we've decided you can now sell in the US as well, which was, you know, a shock to me. And so, that was just something uh, to think about. <laughs> um, you had already done the time to identify that account as a good one. So flipping it was probably a lot easier or it was worth it because you already took the time. You already sunk that time into getting or identifying that, that was a good. Yeah, account. exactly. It was hard to get. And then uh, to hear we can only sell in Canada was kind of a blow, but it, it's about the relationship, right? So mm -hmm. she sensed we had a good attitude about it. We wanted to see if we could increase their sales on another channel. Um, and then once we placed the, the order that was too large uh they we still have some of that stock i think this was a year ago but uh and then they just recently have said we can sell in the u.s so it's kind of you just want to like prove yourself yeah. to brands and that's something that we've always tried to do and now a lot of these brands are kind of like closing up shop like i said 
and you want to have your name in their head when they're doing that. Sure. Cool. And then just a last question here. In sure. terms of obviously you had Dan, which was a great resource, the same way like I had Garrett, Danny, Jake, um, some of those guys, right? How often were you guys collaborating with other Amazon sellers? If uh, very little, actually, in the beginning. Uh, we had one other friend that was doing it that we knew, not a friend from home, but someone we met who was an Amazon seller after. And uh, we didn't get a ton of value from him. Like, we weren't, like, sharing accounts or anything, but it was more just for, like, the social aspect of it. Makes you sense. know, it could be That's very like, lonely oh, <laughs> initially. We, like, there's every, like, 90% of listeners are thinking that right now. Like, That's like, what I was doing. And, and I've been there, too. You know, yep. you need like you need those positive influences, the feedback loops, like the the people you can just banter with about that because this stuff's so much more fun when you're laughing, right? Like about it with stuff oh, like fun. the late nights ripping yeah. away products. <laughs> never I, have, I have never related to it before <laughs> than when Eric and Sebastian were talking about like yelling at each other between the offices, like early, <laughs> yeah, I like buying stuff like that makes this stuff like way less work way more fun way more profitable like it, it's crazy what that collaboration aspect can do and like what i think and i know you had started doing the social stuff recently i think most people when they're new with socials and amazon they should optimize to find the one to five people that they're going to share everything with 100 like, agree i th and that's very like there's, it, I don't know, it's it's tough to conceptualize that, but that's what I think is the most important thing in terms of like figuring out everything. And I think those absolutely going with that. Yeah, I can't uh, agree more with that. I, I, because for me, like the job that first year and a half when I was at home, I would wake up, go into the next room. I had my computer set up, and I'd be on the computer all day. Then I'd be labeling products. Maybe my dad would come in and help me, and then it would be like nine at night before I knew it. And I was like, man, and I'm going to do it again tomorrow and do it again tomorrow. And it was exciting because I was seeing the sales and like calculating, oh, what did I make today? This is pretty good. But um, yeah, that can get lonely over time. So yeah, having another seller to communicate with or the excitement of like sending, oh, look at, check this product out. What do you think of that? Do this analysis just breaks it up and makes it, you know, a lot better. And yeah. um, now well, Dan's back in this area, obviously not in New York anymore. So that helped even more for growth, but also just for sanity, you know? Oh yeah, completely, man. All right. And where can people find you on Instagram? Uh, Amazon underscore authority. All right. Let's see. So this is your buy box bandits debut. We might have to have a, a, a team up episode next time Dan comes on. All right. So you're at 11. Absolutely. I think we can get you to 1200 or 1300. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. I haven't done too much yet with that, but I'm about to uh, start yep. releasing a little bit, well, you know? Yeah. We, well, we got, we did get the February sales update. Yeah. We got the one point yeah, I did. <laughs> for the month. Hell yeah. Sweet. Dude, thanks for taking the time. We know you're busy. We really appreciate it. And uh, you know, uh, looking forward to seeing Miami next time as well. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you guys thanks, for having friend. me. I appreciate right. it. Thanks everyone. Bye. -bye. Yep.